Welcome to the Leadership Window podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 62 of the Leadership Window. I'm excited right now. And uh, you didn't ask why, but I'm going to tell you, I'm excited because baseball is back. The Major League Baseball and the Players Union have agreed to, uh, they've agreed to agree. Collective bargaining agreement is on and we are going to have baseball. And I'm excited about that because I'm a big St. Louis Cardinals fan, as many of you know. And I had tickets to a couple of games for the weekend. I'm taking my son to St. Louis in May. And I was starting to worry that that was not going to be on, but it's on. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited about that. What's the good news in your world? What are you excited about? What are you happy for? Uh, I like the idea of thinking about that. Today, we're talking about your organization's culture. Culture is a word that is thrown around like crazy. Everybody talks about what's your organizational culture. We talk about values. Most organizations think that the values and the culture are kind of the same thing. I want to talk a little bit about that, share with you at least the Jinx perspective on that. But I want to start with a conversation about culture. And I want to ask this question. I want you to ask this question. What is culture? When, when we say organizational culture, what does that even mean? Can you feel it? Can you touch it? Can you describe it? Can you define it? Can your team, can your board, can your donors, how associated is your culture with your brand and the brand experience that people have inside the organization and outside the organization? I'm not going to go through all the answers to those. I'm literally asking them, hoping that you will think about those things. But those are really important questions. And culture is a lot like, um, um, it's a lot like a number of terms that we use, particularly in the nonprofit sector. For example, impact. Well, we're about impact. We're making social impact. What does that mean? How do you define it? How do you describe it? How do you know it when you see it? Is it just a buzzword? Uh, here's another one. Systems change. What do we mean by that? Everyone, oh, we, we got to get it to systemic level. We got to change systems. We're all about systems change. Great. You, you, you're, onto the, you're onto the trend. Now, how do you define that? And how do you describe it? We, we've actually, in a couple of weeks or in a few weeks, Monroe Free from Habitat for Humanity is coming back on the program. We're going to have that conversation about systems change and about culture and values. But I wanted to share some things with you today about culture from, again, from my perspective. And I uh, wanted to start with the definition of culture. And I'm going to share two definitions of organizational culture with you that I ascribe to. I really like both of these definitions. They are easy and they are clear. And to me, they really hit at it. So there's these academic definitions you can find. You probably have your own, but there are two that I really like. And one of them I actually got, I've actually picked up when I was going through my PhD program. And it is this culture is the way we do things around here. 
That's simple. That's culture. The way we do things around here. Think about that. Just for a second, I'm going to have some specific questions for you about your organization as we go through this. I hope you I hope you'll really focus and tune in because I want to challenge you individually listening to this podcast episode. I'm talking to you and I've got some questions for you that I think I think you will uh, be stimulated by thinking through what the answers to those questions might be. But the first question is, how do you do things around your organization? How would your staff describe your culture if it was the way we do things around here? What's your, what's your MO? What does the day to day feel look like and feel like and sound like in your organization? So I like that definition. It's the way we do things around here. A few episodes back, I would encourage you to go back and listen to this one and certainly for you to get their book. But Michael and Audrey Sahota shared a definition of culture I had not heard before, as I think it's theirs originally. And it's in their book, uh, Leading Beyond Change. And their definition of culture is the wibbly-wobbly thing that connects everything in your organization. The wibbly wobbly thing that connects everything in the organization. And we, again, we talked about this on the previous episode, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it and be too redundant. But the core thing that I got out of their framework is that if culture is sort of two halves, the top half is the consciousness piece and the bottom half is the structural piece. So the top half, for example, the consciousness aspect of your organization's culture those are the values, those kinds of uh, intrinsic guiding principles, um, the identity, the organization's purpose, the trust, the unwritten rules and norms, the sort of consciousness of the organization. Diversity, equity, and inclusion would fit there, for example. On the bottom half of this wibbly-wobbly thing, and they don't actually draw it as a square, they draw it as this sort of wibbly-wobbly thing with a lot of lines connecting, but the bottom half of it is the structural piece, your organizational structure, your systems, your communication feedback loop and practices, the roles, the expectations, the processes, the decision-making, the policies. All of that, combines and interacts constantly to comprise your organization's culture. So it is the wibbly wobbly thing that connects everything in your organization, which is the part of it that makes it complex. But you know uh, that at the Jinx perspective, we're all about trying to achieve clarity, simplicity, and alignment. So from the simplicity standpoint, culture is the way we do things around here. From the complexity standpoint, it's the wibbly-wobbly thing that connects everything in your organization. How people are paid connects to trust and safety and purpose. Your policies and procedures for how you use your software systems connects to communication feedback loop. It connects to identity. It connects to brand. It connects All of this stuff connects which again is what makes it complex. It's all layered and interactive and constantly everything connects to everything. So in some ways I like to sort of align organizational culture with what I call brand experience. And there's, there's the internal 
branding and the external branding. Your employees experience a brand. They have a brand experience with your brand that goes beyond the logo. Do they truly identify with it? How do they live the brand? How do they feel and see and experience the brand? So do your donors and your board members and your community leaders and anyone else whose attention you have. They have a brand experience with you. That's very closely aligned with your organizational culture. That's what they're feeling. It's how you do things that creates a brand experience for them. So there's the two definitions. The simple one, the way we do things around here, the complex one, the wibbly wobbly thing that connects everything. Um, we did, I was at a statewide summit. It was the Together SC Summit. Uh, we held it in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And part of it's the it's our state's nonprofit association. And so most of the members are our nonprofit leaders. But there's also a consultant collaborative component of the organization that I'm a part of. And uh, we met and had our own track at the conference. So we dealt with things that were helpful to us as consultants and coaches who are trying to help the nonprofit sector. And on the third day, it was my favorite session because we broke down uh, a case study. I think it was a Harvard case study. I don't have it in front of me now, but I pretty, I'm almost positive this was a Harvard case study and Harvard does almost all their learning. They use the case method extensively and some cases are written better than others, but this was a case about a company in India who also had global presence uh, with sites in the UK and the United States. And so they were all over the place, but they were based in India. Their culture was based in India and they were trying to foster in their company, a culture of what they called love and family. And they, in other words, that employees felt truly cared about. It's how they were sort of describing love. Uh, it was a short case, so we didn't get a lot of depth into what they were thinking, but that was what I took away from it. They wanted people to feel like they were a part of a, a family and that they were loved and that this was all, you know, a, a very caring culture inside the organization. And the organizational leaders were talking about how to achieve that. And some thought we already achieve it. And some thought, no, not really, because, you know, we have a lot of employee turnover. Why are people leaving if they're feeling loved? We have exit interviews that would say that only some people are loved and they're, you know, it's cliquish and it's elite and and so they were trying to create a program where it was kind of like a, a, a liaison or maybe a, um, not a mentor, but just, you know, a, a kind of everyone had a peer or a manager that was going to connect to them that would give them connection and access to upper management and the CEO. And so if an employee need, felt like they needed support in some way, they would go to their designated you know, support. In fact, I think the program was called people support and they were trying to create this culture of love. Like we care about you. We want you to be free and safe and, and open about sharing your thoughts and your challenges and your questions and your aspirations. And, and we'll be here for you. And we're going to assign a person for you to show you how much we're here for you. And the title of the case was called, I think it was called, can a culture be too strong? And immediately as I read, I got halfway through reading the case and I thought that one of the leaders inside the organization actually asked a, what to me was a better question. And in this case, the real question for this organization, which is, can a culture be forced on an organization's team? 
can you force a culture? And that was the question of one of the leaders in this company is it sounds like we're trying to force something. You know, if, if we, if our leadership truly loves and cares about people, we shouldn't have to create some formal system for telling people. And I liked that because it's kind of like active listening. If you've ever been through active listening training, they teach you, you know, make eye contact and uh, nod your head every once in a while and show your body language that you care. And I, you know, to me, it's like the best way to, to practice active listening is to just actively listen. <laughs> if you do that, if you're actively listening, your body language will take care of itself. Don't think about, let me apply some body language that will make the person think I'm listening. Let's just listen and everything will take care of itself. That's kind of how culture is to me. You don't force it. You don't say you, you will be loved. You will feel loved. You will have fun. Gosh, darn it. You can't force a culture. You, you have to just live it. You have to just experience it. You have to shape it as a leader. Your job is to shape it. So we were talking about this and this, you, you can only imagine that this group of consultants, these are nonprofit consultants that help nonprofits with everything from finance and resource development systems to executive leadership, to organizational management and leadership, to branding and you name it. So as you, as you might imagine, nobody was really uh, at a loss for words. We all had great insights and great input to bring to the table and we challenged each other and we acknowledged and affirmed each other and we just broke this thing down. It was like a great workshop and case study. Kind of felt like I was back in school and it was fun. I really enjoyed the session. But the facilitator of the session, who also, by the way, uh, is a guest on this show from a few weeks back, Dr. Sean Edwards. She was the facilitator and just did such a great job. And she posed, she would pop in a question every once in a while as the group was just discussing and discussing and discussing. And we were saying, you know, yeah, this is about, you know, can, can you force a culture? And she said, well, who, who, if, if culture is the wibbly wobbly thing that connects everything, or if culture is the way we do things around here, who owns that? If, if culture is the way we do things around, this was her question. If culture is the way we do things around here, who owns the culture? Isn't that a great question? So I gave it some thought. I didn't answer this out loud. I think it was a bit of a rhetorical question from her. It was a great question. It got me thinking, and I, I think where I'm landing today, uh, this could change, you know, shoot me an email or call me or something. Give me your feedback on it. But my answer is everyone in the organization owns the culture. Leadership shapes the culture. And I really do believe that. And, you know, we can talk about ground up and grassroots and all that and, and you know, you know, challenging leadership and leading up. I, I'm a believer in all of that. But I think that the culture of an organization is shaped from the top. And then everyone owns it. So um, I won't go more into that, but that's my, that's my today answer to that question. And I'm, I'm open to, to have my thinking reshaped on that. Um, I wanted to spend this, the majority of this episode asking you five questions. And uh, some of them I'll ask in a few different ways. So it'll sound like more than five, but really it's the essentially five questions to think about your organization's culture thinking about the definition of culture as the way we do things around here. So for example, question one, if we take the bottom half of that 
wibbly wobbly thing I talked about a minute ago, the structure side. Do you underpay and overwork your team or do you better than adequately compensate your team and get maximum work from them? What does either of those say about your culture and the way you do things? The research will indicate that while money is not a top factor of engagement, there is a minimum required and there's a point at which they won't tolerate all the other negative things if the pay is not enough. So uh, read Daniel Book's uh, Daniel Book <laughs> Daniel Pink's book Drive uh, from a number of years ago, and he talks about it's really self determination theory. But he talks about how money is actually not necessarily a motivator, but rather a demotivator, sort of. That um, it's not what drives engagement, but it can drive disengagement if it's not a not at an adequate level for your people. So what would your team say? What do you think they're out there telling the community? You know, man, they don't pay me enough. You ever heard that phrase, man, they don't pay me enough to deal with this. Or they go to the bar or to their kitchen table or to, you know, the Friday night football game and they're talking with their friends and they're just, oh my gosh, we're paid so little for what we do. We, they want it. You know what they want us to do? They want us to do this, that, and the other. And we already work 60 hours a week and blah, 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 blah. Is that what they're out there saying? Because if that's the way they feel like things are done in your company, then that's how they perceive, at least how they perceive the culture. It certainly is their brand experience with you. So what does that have to say about your culture? It's one of those structural components, how, what your company's, what your organization's philosophy is regarding compensation and work for the compensation that they're getting. So there's one question for you to think about. Here's another question. Number two, do you operate, does your team operate from a position of intentionality and plan or do you uh, manage each day as it comes and sort of operate extemporaneously? A nice way of saying, do you, does your organization fly by the seat of your pants um, and put out fires constantly or do you, do you feel like you're really operating with intentionality with everything that you're doing and you're following a plan and executing on a strategic bet? Many organizations are really good at composing the plan, but they struggle to keep it front and center once it's created. And so execution falls. That's culture. What is your organization's culture as it relates to that dimension and dynamic? Here's a third question for you. Do the people in your organization challenge the leadership? And is it welcomed? Is it invited? Is it appreciated? Do they ask questions that challenge assumptions? Do they share contrasting views? Do they do so appropriately or are they toxic? Are they truly safe to do so? Do they think they are safe to do so? I can't tell you how many leaders I've had tell me, oh, yes, we have a safe, people can come to me and share, you know, I, I want my people to challenge me. And then you do anonymous focus groups inside their organization and they tell you, well, you can't say such and such or you get, you know, whatever. So they not, you know, the CEO may think they're safe, 
that, or that they're creating an environment of safety. But if their people don't feel safe, something's not right. Something in the culture has people feeling that they're not safe. What's it like in your organization? How is leadership distributed? How is it challenged? How do you, who keeps you sharp? Culture questions. Here's number four. Does your organization pursue growth? Or do you operate in a mindset of more of a maintenance or sustainability kind of mode? We've done a lot of talking on this program about stewardship and steward leadership. For example, um, so many leaders in the nonprofit sector that I coach consider themselves to be servant leaders. Altruism is always sky high when we do motivators assessment. People are motivated truly to make a difference, to have meaning and significance and value contribution to the world. But they view their leadership more in a servant mentality than a steward mentality, meaning I'm serving every individual that comes across my path. Every individual that is within my scope of responsibility, my job is to serve them and show them servant leadership. But unfortunately, that sometimes is not what's best for the organization. You know, for example, CEOs that have difficult times in uh, disciplining employees who are performing under par or uh, worse than that, undermining, behaving inappropriately. And if that goes on and on and on and the CEO continues to foster that and let it happen because of empathy and because I'm here to serve this leader, well, then that counters stewardship because stewardship means I'm being trusted with the assets and the mission of, of an entity that somebody else owns. And I'm trusted as the chief steward. And the owners, in this case, the community for a nonprofit, the owners are expecting maximization of the mission. And that means growth. If I'm going to achieve more of my mission, I've got to grow the organization operationally, financially, culturally, credibly, legitimately, from a brand standpoint, physically, growth. Does your organization pursue growth? Most of us would say, probably say we want to grow our organizations, but are we intentionally focused on it? Do we have innovative growth strategies that are making bets for the future so that we remain relevant in the future, not just for today. Do we evolve to the point of being competent at trade-offs, for example? Growing organizations know not just how to take on things that help them grow, but how to let go of the things that aren't part of that growth. Most nonprofits are terrible at trade-offs. We just keep wanting to add on and add on and add on and not say no to anything. What's your culture? How does your organization view growth? It's a culture question. I'm going to take a quick break and I'll come right back with the fifth question. Don't go anywhere. Hey, this is Michael Wallace with Leadership Systems Incorporated. And on behalf of LSI, I want to say thanks for supporting our friend Patrick Jinks and the Leadership Window podcast. We've been partnering with Patrick for many years and we are so proud to have him represent us as an LSI certified executive coach. As a mutual friend, we'd like to offer you exclusive rates on some of the same training that Patrick has received over the years, as well as some new experiences that we've been developing. 
Head over to leadershipsystems.com slash jinx to see the upcoming training events on our calendar and register today to keep learning and growing. Again, that's leadershipsystems.com slash jinx, J-I-N-K-S, for exclusive pricing on LSI's virtual and in-person training events. Thanks a lot. All right, here's question five. What is the workplace conversation like at your office? What do people talk about? What's the tone? Do you hear laughter in the hallways? Do you, do people talk? Is there any small talk going on? Do people support each other? Is there a good social atmosphere? Is it all business? Is it quiet? Is it chaotic? What is the workplace conversation like in your office? You may have heard me share this before. I shared a lot. Uh, years ago, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith conducted a study with some of his colleagues um, around the globe around workplace conversation, and they queried CEOs from companies all over the world and asked them what percentage of all of the workplace conversation at your company is some combination of people putting someone else down or bragging about themselves. Get that question clear. It's really important. They, they ask the CEO now, what percentage of all conversation in your office, in your company, throughout your workforce, do you believe is, some com- is either people putting someone else down or bragging about themselves? So the study was not actually to ascertain what the percentage actually was. The study was to ascertain what the CEOs perceived it to be. The number, I think, if I'm recalling this correctly, was about 65%. That on average, CEOs reported that probably 65% or so of all conversation in their workplace among their workforce was some combination of putting someone else down, you know, de- denigrating somebody in some way, or lifting themselves up, bragging, self-promoting, etc. This was a real eye-opener. I, I went back to my organization at the time. I was leading a small nonprofit in Virginia, and I asked my staff if they'd be willing to take on a challenge and let's stop each other when we hear ourselves in those conversations and I invited them. If, if you hear me do it, just you know, kind of raise your hand and go, eh, it might be one of those times this you might be, you know, and I'll do the same. And we started catching each other and it was really fascinating. And because we had a trusting environment and we could, you know, openly have that conversation with each other, we learned a lot from it. And, you know, it's real easy you walk in someone's office. You complain, Oh, I can't believe such and such a board member or donor or mayor or whoever, just won't return my emails. They're all just blah, blah, blah. And if they weren't so concerned about that boy, and before you know it, they've gone off on this individual and they're just going nuts. And the, the, the follow-up question that I think Goldsmith and his colleagues asked was, you know, a couple of follow-up questions. One, what do you think that does to productivity? And two, knowing that it probably diminishes productivity what is one thing you could do in your organization to increase productivity? And the answer is stop having those conversations. So it's really important to stop those. And I would say, especially as a leader, 
Um, we're going to cover this on, on our next uh, YouTube episode next week. So tune into this one. I've got some perspective from one of my coaching clients actually that uh, shared with me about how leaders converse with their teams in the workplace. Um, but it is incredibly damaging when a leader talks other people down to their team, anybody, uh, coworkers, uh, who, whoever it is incredibly damaging. So what is workplace conversation like in your office? And again, I would say that the person most blind spotted by this is the CEO. Cause you've heard the analogy, you know, what's the water cooler conversation really like, you know, back in that corporate office environment, you know, what are people saying when you're not around now, you may not know, but if you, if you have a good feel for your organization and you are shaping the right culture, you probably have a sense. What is the conversation like? Um, I will tell you, I'm, I'm a little disheartened. I'm a lot disheartened. Um, when I check in on a couple of large Facebook groups, for nonprofits, nonprofit professionals. Many of you, if you're listening to this show, there's a good chance you're a member of this group. There's thousands, probably maybe tens of thousands in, uh, in this group. And there's a couple of different ones. And, you know, the idea is let's be a support system to each other. But occasionally when I check in, I read four or five posts and I just have to leave because if I read any more, I'll get depressed about the health of the sector. I mean, people are unhappy. <laughs> At least the ones that are in these Facebook group. Maybe it's maybe the maybe the people that are in those are just the unhappiest ones, or maybe they feel like it's an opportunity to vent. I get that, but the venting that goes out to twenty thousand people or more is, in my opinion, bringing negative energy into the equation. Because I read some scathing perspective about things that are going on in these people's nonprofits. The, the pathetic pay, the toxicity, the duplicity, the amount of stress and overwork and unappreciation, the amount of conflict, that all rules the day for some people. And some of them, they just they spend their time on Facebook just spewing all of these negative things. And, and again, maybe it's just a venting ground. It's just Facebook, but it makes me wonder about the mindset of the people inside those organizations and what the culture really is. And, and again, these are not all CEOs. These are, these are just nonprofit professionals, people who are on staff of some nonprofit somewhere. And so while they own the culture, they aren't necessarily the ones driving and shaping it. Um, and, in some cases, maybe they're the maybe they're the toxic ones. I don't know, but it leads me to another, actually another Marshall Goldsmith uh, tenant. We do these job satisfaction and employee engagement surveys, and we ask, you know, uh, do, does your supervisor recognize you? Do you get good feedback from your supervisor? Do your leaders communicate well? Do you trust your CEO? Do you? And we ask all these things that that we want employees to answer regarding to someone else is someone else doing their job. Well, is your company or your company leaders communicating well, et cetera, et cetera. And Dr. Goldsmith says, those are the wrong questions, or at least they're inadequate questions. The real questions people ought to be asking themselves, honestly, did I do my best this week 
to advance the goals of the company? Am I doing my best? Am I doing everything in my sphere of influence to grow and value relationships? Um, what am I doing to support the goals and the mission of the organization? What am I doing to support a coworker? What am I doing to foster and strengthen the relationship between me and my supervisor? It's always, it always comes back to ourselves. And so that's how I believe we all own the culture. If we all take personal responsibility for our role in that culture, but I will tell you too often, the ones making the loudest noise about their organizational culture are often the ones that are the problem. <laughs> uh, I see it all the time. They're the toxic ones and they they, they thrive on it. Actually. The question then for you as a leader is, do you foster that culture? You get to drive it. You get to decide that level of toxicity that exists in your organization. Here is a bonus question for you, and then we'll wrap up this episode. What would you ask if you, let's say you were a consultant and you were coming in to assess an organization's culture? What questions, in addition to the five that I've asked you today, what questions would you put on the list? I would submit there's probably a very, very long list of potential questions about organizational culture that you could ask because culture is a very deep concept and it is complex. It's that wibbly wobbly thing that connects everything in your organization. But think about that. What questions would you ask to try to get at what an organization's culture is? In other words, how they do things. Now flip those questions on yourself and your own organization. How do you do them? Hope those are some helpful coaching questions for you. By the way, a uh, quick promotion of our YouTube channel. If, um, if you like shorter things, now this episode, you know, today we've been talking for over half an hour. Some of our episodes are over an hour. That's great when you've got the time and you're listening to podcasts and you're driving down the road in your car or you're working out or whatever. That's why people love podcasts. If you want the snackable sizes, if you want the five minute stuff, we have a YouTube channel uh, on our, just go to jinxperspective.com, J-I-N-K-S perspective.com. And right on the main menu is YouTube. Just click there. And it'll take you straight to our YouTube episodes, which are three to five minute coaching episodes on all kinds of topics. And we'll be talking, for example, about workplace conversation. We'll be talking about um, the relationship that leaders have with their people and where is it appropriate and not appropriate and how far is too far. And, you know, I'll, I'm, I take five minutes and just kind of share with you some of the tips that uh, one of my coaches shared with us. So if you, if you ever want those uh, shorter episodes, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel. And when you get there, click the subscribe button and then click the bell icon. That way, whenever new episodes drop, you'll get notified of them and you won't miss any of them. And until then, that is the Jinx Perspective for this week. So uh, go and uh, go and build your dream culture and just know that what you think it is and what other people think it is might be something a little bit different. We'll see you next time here on the podcast with uh, our returning guest, Ron Harvey. Lead on. Lead on.